You're listening to the Church on the Move Roswell podcast. We hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and challenges you to take your next step with Jesus. Thanks for listening. Let's check it out. A few years ago, before COVID hit, uh, the elders had said, hey, we want to bless you from some of the proceeds from Joy of Marriage. And we said, okay, whatever you want to do. And we didn't know what they were going to do. And they sent us to Italy, and that's where we've been. We've been in Italy. We went to uh, we went to Venice. We went to Florence, and we went to Rome. And Julia told me when we were early in marriage that, uh, but even before we were married, that the only place she ever wanted to go to out of the country is um, uh, because she thinks you know between Oklahoma and New Mexico and Texas, that's pretty much the world. Uh, but um, but that's what happens when you grow up in Oklahoma. You know about three states. You know I no, I'm kidding. I, Kind of, but uh, anyway, uh, but uh, she's always wanted to go to Venice, you know, and so we had talked about that for years and years and years and, and just got blessed to go do that and uh, saw some incredible things, saw the Sistine Chapel and, and uh, you know, I would send out pictures of all the statues and things that we saw, Michelangelo's David and all that, but they're all naked. <laughs> so we're going to do a video and we're going to see a bunch of blurry spots there's nothing wrong with the video, but everybody's naked. You know, all the pictures, all the painting. Matter of fact, the Sistine Chapel was painted all naked people. And uh, uh, after Michelangelo died, they paid some painters to go in there and paint clothes on folks. And so most people don't know that. They also don't know that in the Sistine Chapel that the Pope, Michelangelo did not like to paint. He was a sculptor, you know, and he one of the best things I think we saw there was uh, a sculpture he did when he was 23, it'll bring tears to your eyes, of Mary holding Jesus after his death. Uh, you can Google that. It's a beautiful sculpture. It, it really is probably the best thing we saw there, uh, better the, even than his David, seeing the original sculpture of David. But uh, Michelangelo did not like to paint, so the Pope asked him a couple times to paint the Sistine Chapel. And people don't realize the Sistine Chapel is right next to or kind of connected, not directly, but on the other side of St. Peter's Church, which is the biggest church in the world, uh, in the Vatican. And it was the private chapel of the Pope. So the, ch- the Pope wanted a private chapel that he could go into that wasn't, you know, St. Peter's holds like 60,000 people. That's how big that church is. And so he didn't want to have to go in there. He wanted a smaller chapel just for him. him uh, and so he, he uh, would had the Sistine Chapel build this very... It just looks like a brick building on the outside. It didn't look like anything special. So we asked Michelangelo to paint it because he was the greatest artist in the world. Um, you know, and so he told him no. He said, anybody can paint. Get anybody. Because he, he didn't have a lot of respect for painters. Had more respect for sculptors. And, and so anyway, he talked him into doing it. And then he tried to tell him what to paint. And Michelangelo was a typical artist. He was, he was a little ornery and a little uh, different. And so he painted a mural uh, on the ceiling, uh, what they call a fresco. When they paint on the actual ceiling, the actual, you know, it's like me painting on this roof right here where you don't add any canvas or anything to it. That's called a fresco. So he painted it, and he painted a picture of that pope looking backwards in the sky, and Michelangelo's going the other way with his pants down. (laughs) Kid you not, he's mooning that pope. And that pope got sick. And, and right before it was finished, he, he died about six months after it was finished. So he, I don't know if he ever knew that, but he said he did it. So every time he walked in there to pray, he'd look up, and Michelangelo was mooning him. Most people don't know that. I never knew that. But anyway, it was just funny. You know, they don't let you take pictures of anything in the Sistine Chapel, so I couldn't get a picture of it. I really wanted to get a picture of it. But, uh, but anyway, um, just really interesting stuff. You know, the... Uh, uh, and we'll, I'll talk more about this on our podcast, The All-American View, that we'll, we'll talk about today. But, um, you know, Rome, they say, is like a lasagna. Everything's built on top of each, each other, you know. And I would, every street has something that's cool. So you'll, you'll say, hey, that, that, for some of you that have been there know exactly what I'm talking about. I'll say, hey, how old is that? It's like every block. How old is that? And they'll say, oh, that's new. I'm like, what do you mean new? That looks old. They'll say, well, that's like 15th century, 14th century, and that's new. Old is before Christ. 
New is 14th, 15th century in Rome. And they, it's funny to look three stories down in the ground and see a city. To see parts of a city three stories down, 30, 40 feet deep. Because it's all, they didn't tear stuff down, which is why it's so preserved. They built right on top of it. And so it's, they say it's like a lasagna. It's just built right on top. So they have all these great ruins. So it's really pretty cool. I'd recommend it to anybody that enjoys history. Uh, if you enjoy art, then that's cool. Um, I thoroughly, there's some paintings I thought were absolutely uh, captivating. Um, I'd never seen artwork like this in my life. And I, I understand now why people don't sculpt. You don't see a lot of sculptors around, you know, sculpting out of marble and stuff, because these guys were so good. I don't know, I don't know if they even want to try, because these guys were so, they gave their whole life to it. You know, it's not like now we have other interests and we do other things. They gave their whole life to just one thing and being good at it, you know. And so, anyway, fascinating. Uh, you know, had a great time. The Italian people are really warm, uh, very friendly. I got to pray. I always, man, I always intend to lead someone to Christ. I didn't get to pray with somebody to come to know Jesus, but we got, I got to pray with about four or five people. Julie and I did. Man, you could tell they'd never, they're in their 40s and 50s, almost all these people, some maybe even a little older than that in their 60s, and they all wept. Every one of them cried, and you could tell no one had ever prayed for them like that in their life because one of the things you learn very quickly is that despite all the old churches and the largest church in the world and all the Catholic churches around the city, that they're pretty much a, they're not a, they, I think they know about God, but because the word is not taught, they don't know, they don't know who he is and they don't know who they are in Christ. I think only that one person that I thought was genuinely saved that, that loved Jesus, but she looked at me and said, I, I don't know anything really about the Bible. I love Jesus, but I don't know anything about the Bible. And that was Francesca, the last person we prayed with. And she just wept when we prayed with her. Um, it's just so sad. I probably taught her more about the Bible in the couple hours we were with her than she had learned in her lifetime. And it was, it's very sad. And it, it brings me to a story. My son, Garrett, sent me this video of this pastor. It's really interesting. This is recent. This is a true story. This pastor got up in his pulpit, uh, I don't know how long ago, but he is pretty recent, got up in his pulpit and said, I was walking past a satanic bookstore, and it fascinated me. So I went in, and he said, I went into the satanic bookstore, and they said I saw a book of spells and curses and stuff like that. He said, I bought it, and he said, I brought it to church today, and he said, I'm going to read this over you and your family. Now, you can imagine how the people in the church responded. They're like, oh my gosh, how many of you would want, would any of you want that satanic book read over you and your family? Why? Why? Because it's evil, and you would, you would think it would cause evil in your life. Well, he, started, he said he was going to do that, and then he stopped, and he said, I can tell by the reaction. Some of you are moaning and groaning, fidgeting in your seats. Some of you are about ready to get up and leave if I start reading from this book. He said, you have so much faith in this satanic book that it would hurt you and your family. He said, but I'm about to read from the book of life, God's book. And you have less faith in God's ability in his book and his word to impact you than that satanic book. He, he didn't have a satanic book. He just wanted to prove a point. That, that you guys went, oh, and wow, and I wouldn't want that read over me. Why? Because people would think, well, that would have an impact on me. That would cause a curse or a demonic spirit to come on me or a spell to come on me, something from the demon world. But yet, well, I'm about to read the word. Do you feel the same way about the word of God? I mean, they're desperate, starving for the word in Europe. Man, if, I, if God told me to, I'd start a church there tomorrow. I didn't see one Protestant church, not one in the whole nation. Not one building, not one church, not one youth building, not one children's building, nothing. All these old churches that were mostly museums, even though they still had mass in them, they were mostly more museum pieces than they are churches. 
They're devoid of this word, and we take this for granted, and, and we think there's more power in, in, in a satanic book than there is in the book of life. Can I tell you something? There's more power in one scripture in this book than all of Satan's kingdom. There's more life and power in it. And I'm about to read from it. This is, this is, this is powerful. I love the pastor's point. That you hear this and you have this in your hand and you have these in your houses. Can I tell you something? Other than the Bible I had, I didn't see one Bible in all of Italy. There's not one in your hotel room. There's not one anywhere laying around. There's not a bookstore we saw with any Bibles in them. I didn't see a Bible in the whole nation. Not one. Not one. And... I would say all but one person that we prayed, they wouldn't pray with me, but they let us pray, pray for them. All but one knew Jesus. I don't know if we came across another person that knew Jesus Christ as the Lord because there's no word. And where the word is not preached, the, you know, God says, how can, they, how can they ever know me if they don't hear and if they can't hear the word preached, how, how can they hear the word preached unless someone goes and tells them? And how can someone go tell them unless they're sent to tell them? Otherwise, we got to send people to go tell them the word. I could have probably stood on the corner and preached, not yelling, not screaming, not beating people up, just teaching the word, teaching scripture upon scripture, and those people would have learned more from that moment on the, uh, a couple hours on the corner than they had in a lifetime. Let's not take this for granted what we have. It was great going. We had a great time. But it was greater coming home. Coming home to America where we're, we still believe in God. Coming home to a church family like you guys that still love God and serve God and honor God. It was great to come home to our wide open spaces in our big blue sky. I didn't realize how, how closed in I was feeling until we got home and I, I hadn't driven in, in two weeks and I got in, the, I got in my car and started driving. I'm like, oh, this feels like freedom. You know, because we got these wide open spaces and everything is built on top of each other. They live on top of each other. They're built. All the buildings are right next to each other. And I mean, there's, no, there's nothing between them. If there is, there's a street. And that street's about the wide as some of them were maybe five feet, five yards maybe wide, if that. And so I just got home and I'm, I'm looking at our big, beautiful sky. We got home late at night and man, it just felt so good. And the next morning I drove, I'm like, yes, home. There's no place. Uh, Dorothy had it right. There's no place like home. No place like home. And you know, there's just not a body of, there's not a church like this in all of Europe or all of Italy. It's crazy. I would, I, would, I would hope someday that somebody who's anointed and called, not somebody who's calling themselves or thinks they're going to go over and do, I'm talking about someone God calls. God anoints and God calls would go to that place and we could support them and they would start a church in Rome and teach people about the real Jesus. Not some statue. Not some painting. But the real Jesus, who's alive. He's, not, he's not dead and buried 2,000 years ago. He rose from the dead. He's alive. He's alive. It says in Hebrews 4, verse 12, For we have the living word of God, the living word of God, which is full of energy or power, like a two-mouthed sword. You know why it says in the Passion a two-mouthed sword? Because that, two, that, that first mouth is God speaking the word. The second side of that sword, the other mouth is us speaking the word. God speaks the word, and then we agree with it, and we speak the word. And let me say something, it's just as powerful coming out of a believer's heart, someone who really believes in God's word and believes in God. It's just as powerful coming out of our mouth as it is his. Not because we're equal to God, it's not, it's not that. It's because when we agree with God, he, puts, he says, I'll empower it. He said, you will speak to mountains, you. He said, you will speak. He said, if you speak and you believe it, 
and have no doubt in your heart? He said, you can speak to a mountain and it'll move. Why did he say that? Because of this verse right here. This, this blade is two mouth. God speaks it and then we agree with it. And it has the same amount of power when we get in agreement with God's word. We say, God, we believe it. Because we believe it, therefore, we speak it. We speak your word. And he says this, it will even penetrate to the very core of your be our being, where soul and spirit, bone and marrow meet. It interprets and reveals the true thoughts and secret motives of our hearts. There is not one person who can hide their thoughts from God, for nothing that we do remains a secret, and nothing created is concealed, but everything is exposed and defenseless before his eyes, to whom we must render an account. He starts talking about the power of his word, and then he starts talking about the power of his word to penetrate to the deepest parts of us, to expose who we really are. To expose who we really are. And God sees right through the, to the heart of a person. He sees through all the junk and sees right to your heart. He knows if you're playing games. That's why he said, you have not because you ask not. Or you ask with a wrong motive. He said, first of all, I've got a bunch of people who don't believe in me enough to even ask me to help. Do you know God's waiting to help? He said in Corinthians, he said, 1 Corinthians, he said, all of my promises are yes. He said, every one of my promises are yes. He, and he said, I'm waiting, basically, I'm waiting for the amen. For somebody to get in agreement with my word and say, so be it. So be it done unto me in my life, according to your word. According to your word, according to your promise, God. I believe in what you say. He's waiting, to, he's looking to find someone with that kind of heart that believes in him enough to ask him and then ask with the right motive and say, God, if my motive's not right, then fix it. If my motive is selfish or my motive's just to spend it on myself, the lottery's up to 1.9 billion. I know a lot of people want to win it. They say, man, if I win it, I'll do this and I'll do this good and I'll do that good. Well, can I tell you something? A lot of people have made those promises, and most of them, it ruined their life. It didn't bless anybody else's life. Because who you are now is who you'll be with that money. If you're not good with money now, you'll, you'll be terrible with that money. It'll ruin you. You'll end up more broke than you've ever been with all that money. If, you're, if you don't honor God now, you won't honor God then. If you're not good and generous to people as best as you can now, you won't be good and generous then either. You don't give a dollar to charity to help somebody, man, you won't give a dollar then either. Who you are, that's why it always exposes who you are. He said, my word exposes who you really are. It'll show you who you really are. I love God's word. I invite it into my life. That's what all of us should invite God's word into our life because it shows us who we are. And I always say, it exposes secrets that, are, that we won't deal with privately. He'll eventually expose you publicly or he'll reward you publicly for what you're doing privately. It'll be one or the other. You'll either be blessed for what you're doing secretly or exposed for what you're doing secretly. I want to encourage you, do what's right because God's word is always true. It always comes to pass. And you might say, well, Pastor Troy, what about all the evil that's going on around us and all the evil in the world and all the stuff that's happening? Listen, God's, you know, a lot of people think, well, where's God in all that? I'm gonna tell you where God is. He's being patient. He's patient. He said, don't, don't think me lazy or I'm lax or I don't care what's going on. He said, it's, it's none of that. I'm not lax. It's not that I don't care. And it's definitely not lazy. God explains this to us. He explains himself to us, which is always amazing to me that God is so humble that he would take the time to explain himself to a human being. So he explains, he says, I'm not lax. I'm not lazy. I'm not, I don't, it's not that I don't care. I'm patient. I'm being patient with people. So they'll come to the knowledge of me. I'm not just wiping them out. And you know what? I'm so grateful because he would have wiped me out. I'm glad he was patient and is still patient with me now. And we should be glad that he's patient with this, this world. Even no matter how evil they get, we should be glad he's patient. Because he's that way with all of us. And he's patient because he cares. He's patient because he loves. 
He's patient because he's, he's, he's cheering people on. Come on, come on, come on. Why is he like that? I'll tell you why. Because he's the God of all hope. I'm starting a new series today called Hope Against Hope. And it's based on Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. And it's based on a promise he made to Abraham, Romans chapter 4, starting in verse 18. It says this. This is, this is awesome. I love these. I love Romans chapter 4 when he talks about Abraham. He says this, against all odds, against all odds, when it looked hopeless. Listen, a lot of times we face circumstances that are hopeless. They don't just look hopeless, they are hopeless. Other times it looks hopeless. We feel, you know, we feel like it's hopeless, whether it really is or not. That's how we feel. And so everybody faces moments or situations like that that we think that it's just, it's hopeless. It's just not going to happen. And this is, this is Abraham's reaction to that. It says, against all odds, when it looked hopeless, Abraham believed the promise and expected God to fulfill it. He took God at his word, and as a result, he became the father of many nations. God's declaration over him came to pass. Your descendants will be so many that they will be impossible to count. In spite of being nearly 100 years old, when the promise of having a son was made, his faith was so strong that it could not be undermined by the fact. Everybody say the fact. Now, he's going to state a couple facts here. The fact that he and Sarah were incapable of conceiving a child. Listen, God doesn't deny the facts. What he denies is that the facts have the final word. That's hope says, hope says, okay, it's a fact that this is this has happened, this has happened, and this is happening. It's a fact. But hope says, this is what hope says. Hope says, I believe there's a God in heaven that cares and loves me and that he is good. That's what hope says. Hope says, I believe there's a God in heaven that cares for me, loves me, and that he's good despite the facts. That's what Abraham believed. He had hope. He said, man, despite the fact Guys, if you see a 90-year-old woman that has got a belly, do not ask her if she's pregnant. She's not pregnant. She's got a food baby, but that's it. You're going to make a huge mistake. I'm not talking about a 20-year-old. You're like, man, maybe she's pregnant. Maybe she's no, I'm talking about a 90-year-old that was pregnant, that got pregnant. From an over 100-year-old man who said the fact is Sarah never had babies. She, she couldn't have a baby in her prime. She, can't, she couldn't have a baby any time in life. Her womb has been dead since she was born. Her womb was born. She couldn't have any babies, never. And he said, now I'm so old, I'm, I'm incapable of even having intimacy, let alone producing a child. He said, here's the facts. The fact is, it doesn't look good. The fact is, it's not good. The fact is, it's impossible. But hope says to the facts, hope says to the facts, hold on a second. I believe there is a God that cares for me. I believe there's a God that loves me. And I believe that there's a God in heaven that is good. Period. That's what hope says. And so he's, it says, he says the fact that he and Sarah were incapable of conceiving a child, and he says this, he never stopped believing God's promise, for he was made strong in his faith to father a child. And because he was mighty in faith and convinced that God, that God had all the power needed to fulfill his promises, Abraham glorified God. Abraham glorified God. Another translation of this verse doesn't say against all odds. It says this, he hoped again. When all hope was lost, he still had hope that God was good. Loved and cared for him personally. 
That's what hope says inside of us. Not just that God's good out here, but God cares, loves, and is good to me. Wants to be good to me. It's per, hope is personal. You know, I had the great pleasure of talking to for hours a man that spent years in a Japanese POW camp. Uh, he'd spent years in a Japanese POW camp. Matter of fact, after Hiroshima and Nagasaki and the Japanese kind of gave up, they just, they just, all the guards just left the prison. They just kind of walked out of the camp. They didn't know where to go. They started walking around. He actually worked in uh, Nagasaki. They'd taken POWs to go clean up some of the mess. He said, I saw things that blew my mind. I had no idea what happened. I didn't know that we dropped an atomic bomb. He said it was the weirdest thing to see, to see bricks turned into glass and people incinerated, just like outlines of people in ash. He said, we had no idea what happened. We thought maybe it was some kind of explosion. They were building bombs. We had no idea. He said, but he worked in those, as, a, as slave labor to the Japanese, he worked in those, those, in those areas and served in that camp. He was tortured. They were all tortured to some degree. Many of his friends died there. He said, but after about six or seven months, you know, we would all kind of look at people and go, that guy will make it. He's big, strong, healthy, tough-minded. He'll make it. That guy over there, man, he's always sick. He's not going to make it. Well, after a while, they realized the tough, physically fit guy would die. And this sickly guy would recover and end up looking like a stick. But he would slowly but surely recover. And they, would, they began to seek God. Nothing, nothing like a foxhole. Nothing like being in trouble will cause you to seek God. They began to seek God, and God showed them that the difference between the sickly guy who made it and the healthy guy who died was one thing and one thing alone, hope. That was it. They would visit those sick, that sick guy. There was one particular guy he had in mind. He said, he was sick, man, bad sick. We all, he's skin and bones. And he said, we knew he was going to die, but he would always tell us, I'm not going to die. I'm not going to die. He'd, he'd always tell us, I believe in the God of hope. I believe God will heal me. I'm not going to die. And he didn't. He made it all the way through. Came back to America. But he said these other guys that were big and strong, they didn't have that hope. And when they started losing weight and, and, and facing adversity and being tortured, they would lose hope and they would die fast. It, was, it rocked them. But they finally realized, we have to hang on to hope, guys. We have to believe that there's a God in heaven that despite how, how awful this is, how evil this is, that he still cares for us, he still loves us, and he wants to be good to us. And that hope, I mean, this guy always had a perpetual smile on his face. I'm serious. He was in a wheelchair and he was older at this point, but he always had a smile. He was always happy. And I, I had, that's what started the conversation. I'm saying, why are you always like this when I'm around you? He said, well, I learned this in a Japanese POW camp. He had the flag from the camp up on his wall in his living room. He said, I learned this. I learned about hope. He said, I learned about the God of all hope. And he said, it changed my life forever. I became a Christian and I came out of there and I've served God the rest of my life. I've served God. And he said, I've always carried around this hope that God loves me, God cares, and that God is good. No matter what circumstances I've faced, I have this hope inside of me that lifts me up. It lifts me up. It causes me to have certain things in my life that others might not have because I hang on to hope. You know, hope is the foundation of faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Hope is the foundation. You can't have faith until you first have hope. You first have to have a belief that there is a God, that he loves you and cares for you, and that he's good. You first have to have that belief. Before, you have to believe in God first, before you can believe in his character, in his heart, before, and that he's good, before you can ever look at one of his promises and say, I, I'm going to take hope to faith and I'm going to believe not only is God good but he, and that he loves me, but that every promise he spoke is for me and it will come to pass in my life. If you don't believe first in the character of God, you can never believe in the word of God. A promise is only as good as the promiser. If you know someone that always breaks their promises and they say, hey, tomorrow I'm going to come by and help you mow your lawn. 
you're going to put about this much stock in that, right? Because they always say stuff like that, and they don't come through. We all know people that make a ton of promises that we've all broken promise to, you know, a few here and there. But I'm talking about people that have a lifestyle of saying, I'm going to do this, and they don't do it. That's their whole lifestyle. After a while, we just dismiss it. Why? Because the promise is only as good as their character. Someone say amen. And so that's why hope is the foundation. You have to first believe that God is good. You have to first believe that he exists. You have to first believe that he cares, and you have to first believe that he loves you. Then you can look at his promises and say, because I know the character of God, I can believe in the promises of God, and that's when hope turns to faith. That's when you see the manifestation. And Abraham had this hope that God was good and that he loved him and cared for him, and that's why he believed the promise that no matter how bad it got, no matter what the facts said, that the promise was going to come to pass. And you don't have to live like this, and you don't have to believe the word of God, but those who do will see God move in their life. They'll see God move. Those who don't won't see God move. Some people just hang on to hope and never let it turn to faith. They believe God is good. When I was raised, I was raised to believe that, that God was somewhat good. Uh, I mean, good in the sense that he's holy and perfect, but that he, I really was raised by religion that God was mad at everybody, just couldn't wait to beat them down. I, I never heard someone say, hold on a second, God hates sin, but he loves people so much, he sent Jesus to die for that sin. I never caught that message. I always thought God was angry, old, angry, and couldn't wait to beat me in the ground. That's what religion teaches. I said, that's what religion teaches. And a lot of people have a religion. But they don't have a relationship because they first don't believe in hope. They don't understand what hope is and how you have to stand on hope to ever have any faith. And then unless you have a, a faith, it's impossible to please God. Unless you have faith, it's impossible to please God. Let me say it again. Unless you have faith, it's impossible to please God. He said, this is what faith is. First, you must believe that God is. He is God, and he is who he says he is. He is good. He loves us. He cares for us. He is just. He is holy. He doesn't just excuse sin. He doesn't want us just to excuse it in our lives. That's not him because he's just. He's fair. He's righteous. So he wants us to be just, fair, and righteous. He wants us to be holy as he is holy. I just taught seven months on that. Seemed like seven months. I'm like, God, when are you going to let me go with this? He said, no, my people need to know. I want her to be holy as I am holy. And then I made them holy. We're about to read it. He said, I made you holy. You can't make yourself holy. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. One sin makes you not holy. But he said, I can make you holy. Why? Because despite the facts, hope says, oh, wait a minute. As long as the good God, loving God's on the throne, this, these facts can be changed. Only God can change the facts. He takes what naturally is the facts and he supernaturally overwhelms them and changes it. Only he can change the fact that Sarah couldn't have babies, Abraham couldn't have babies. But he changed the facts. I said, he changed the facts, and at 90-something years old, Sarah birthed a son, brought her tremendous joy. She lived, she lived to see him grow up, too. It's not that she birthed him and didn't get to raise him. She got to experience all the joy of her heart. She'd always desired a, a child her whole life. And she was so overwhelmed with joy when she finally got to birth Isaac. And she loved him, man. She got to raise him, see him turn into a man. It was incredible what she got to do. You know why? Because she never let go of hope that despite the facts, when God makes a promise, it can overcome and overwhelm the facts. But it's up to us whether we believe it or not. You notice it kept saying, he believed, he believed, he believed. 
He believed in God. He believed that he superseded the facts. Um, go with me to chapter 5 right there in Romans. Let's read this. This is incredible. Uh, Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says, Our faith in Jesus transfers God's righteousness to us. And he now declares us flawless in his eyes. When is the last time you ever thought that in the eyes of God you're flawless? You know why in the eyes of God we're flawless? Because he sees us through the blood of Jesus. And his blood is flawless. And we're covered. We sing this song, covered in the blood. And I know, you know, somebody who's not a Christian might think, ah, that's a little cultish. Covered in the blood. I don't want any blood on me. Don't cover me in blood. But you know, it's not, it's, it's, it's a spiritual reality. We're not going to pour blood on you. We don't pour blood on ourselves. No, it's a spiritual reality that the blood that he shed 2,000 years ago was holy blood. And that he carried his body. His, his body, instead of there being an actual altar in heaven, Jesus is the altar. And he walked in covered in his blood. And he shed his blood, his holy blood, so that now God sees us through mercy. It's called the mercy seat. Jesus is the mercy seat. Now God sees us with mercy. It says, I'm not going to pay you according to your sin. I'm not going to repay you that way. I'm not going to give you what you deserve. I'm going to give you what you don't deserve. That's called grace. And now, because of Jesus, because of how good God is, he sent Jesus. Now I see you as flawless. Does that mean we can just go on sinning and act crazy and say, ah, oh, God sees me as flawless? No, God's not playing those games. That's not a game. You can't con God or be insincere or to be uh, outrageously stubborn or rebellious to his grace. No, people who understand what God did, we want to do what's right. Because of the mercy and grace we've been given. We want to live right in secret and in public. Both. And so he sees us as flaws. He says, this means we can now enjoy, everybody say enjoy, true and lasting peace with God. All because of what our Lord Jesus, the anointed one, has done for us. You know, some people in this room are more concerned about having peace with human beings or this situation or this, that situation than with God. Do you realize that having peace with God, now everything God has is available to you? But the question would be, do we value it at that level? That Jesus making peace between us and God, being the bridge between us and God, making peace between us and God, that that should be the most invaluable thing we possess in our lives. And when you treat it like that and you put God's kingdom first, all the stuff you'd ever desired or you wanted, he'll just make it happen. Julie and I talked about going to Italy. I don't know if we'd ever planned it and gone. So not only, they paid it, planned it, and did it because they know us that we probably wouldn't have done it. So they, they planned everything. We didn't plan anything, which was awesome. We probably wouldn't have done it. But that's, that's how God is. Julie's had this desire for over 30-something years. But when you hang on to hope and you hang on to the goodness of God he, and you put his kingdom first, he just starts doing stuff. And it might not be in a month or a week, but if you hang on and you hang on to him, he'll do it. My mama told me when I was about 26, she said, son, you're never going to get married. I said, mom, that's not true. I'm believing God for a while. She said, well, you don't even date. How are you ever going to get married? You, got, you think God's going to show up with a girl on your doorstep? And I thought, well, I hope so. Because I never liked to date. And so, I mean, but it was, it was amazing that when it finally happened two years later, a year later, that it was on my doorstep. My brother set it up for me. He not only... He not only set it up, he even, I said, I won't even ask her, I won't even call her if she hadn't already said yes. I take no chances. I take a lot of risks in life, but I don't take risks like with girls, with girls. So, um, so I said, you have to even make sure she's going to say yes, I'm not even calling if I don't already know. 
It was like seventh grade dating, right? She loved one of those things, you know. <laughs> and so he said, okay. He said, man, okay. I'll ask. So he said, she said, hey, he asked her, will you go out with my brother? And da 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 da. She said, yes. I'm like, he called me. He said, hey, she said, yes, call her. Well, I didn't call her right. I waited three weeks to call her. I just had to get my nerve up. And then I treated it like a business transaction. I said, hello, is this Julie? She said, yes. I said, this is Troy Smotherman. You know my brother, Steve? Yes. I said, I, from what I understand, you had already agreed to go out with me? Yes. She said, yes. I said, okay, how does Friday at 7 sound to you, this, this Friday at 7? Yes. I said, I'll be wearing jeans and just a casual shirt, just so you know what I'll be wearing. She said, okay. And I said, I'll pick you up at 7. Thank you very much. <laughs> Have a pleasant evening. It's super romantic. Super, super romantic. <laughs> I said it probably more business-like than that. <laughs> Julie's like... But she was so glad. She, I told her what I was going to wear, though. She was really glad. But, but guys, here's the, here's the end of the story is, because I just hung on to hope. I would, even with my mom saying that to me and other people saying, man, it's not going to happen, and you're getting too old, and you're waiting too long, and you're not dating, you're not doing all this other stuff. And I'm not just talking about relationships, guys. I'm just talking about how God is. It's the same with Abraham. You know, my faith didn't weaken. There were moments it did that I was like, crud, is this ever going to happen? What's going on here, God? But he just kept reminding me, put my kingdom first, put my kingdom first, put my kingdom first. I'll add it. I know, I know your desires, your heart. You've asked me a thousand times. I heard you. I heard you. I know what you want. Just put my kingdom first. Keep growing. Keep growing as a Christian man. Keep growing. I'm preparing her. I'm preparing you. Just keep, keep on hanging on. And I hung on to hope. And man, it, it, that, that door swung wide open. And that's what happened with Abraham. He just hung on to hope. He's, and the facts are saying it doesn't look good. And you're not going to do it. And it's never happened with Sarah. And she's not capable. And this isn't going to happen. And now you're not capable. And it's never going to happen. And it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. And Satan kept saying it's never going to happen. But Abraham hung on to hope and said, hold on a second. My God who promised me, loves me, cares about me, and he's good. And I have a hope that cannot be defeated. And I'm going to hang on to it. And I'm not just going to hang on to hope. I'm going to turn it into faith. And I'm going to believe exactly what he told me. He said, my descendants will be more than the stars, more than the sand on the earth. And he said, I'm hanging on to that too. I'm not just having one child. I'm birthing a nation. And it happened. He is the God of all hope. He says this, our faith guarantees us permanent access into this marvelous kindness that has given us a perfect relationship with God. What incredible joy bursts forth within us as we keep on celebrating our hope of experiencing God's glory. But that's not all. Even in times of trouble, we have a joyful confidence knowing that our pressures, we have hope. That's what that joyful confidence is hope knowing that our pressures will develop in us patient endurance. And patience, patient endurance will refine our character. And proven character leads us back to hope. It leads us continually back to the goodness of God that we live off of it. We count on it. And we believe that no matter what happens in the elections, no matter what happens in your job, no matter what happens, that he's good and he loves me and he cares for me and he cares for us. And that God has a better plan, a future, a good thing's going to happen to tomorrow or the next day or the next month. For he is the God of all hope. And we're a people that should be carrying the torch of hope everywhere we go. We should be carrying the torch of hope. And we talk more about this the next several Sundays. But right now, I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes, just remove distractions. Uh, I'm going to thank all those watching online, either now or later in the week or month. Thank you for watching. And I'm going to ask you to close your eyes too. And say, well, I'm watching this a month later, but... There's still someone else watching that maybe doesn't know Jesus. Maybe you do. Please pray for them right now. But for those who are watching online or sitting in this room and you're not right with God, 
That's why you came here today. You, you didn't come here to just hear me. You, that's not why you came. You came here to meet God, to see God, to experience Him. And if you've never prayed and said, God, you're the Lord. I'm not, I'm not equal to you. You're, you're above me. You're the Lord. I, I, you gave your life for me, and now I give my life to you. I trust you. I have hope in you that your plan for me, your destiny, your purpose for me is greater than the one I have. Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost. What does it mean to be lost? Lost means that you're walking in darkness, that, you, that, you, that you're living for something so small. What is it you're living for is yourself. And, and when you live for yourself, you're walking in darkness and you're lost because we weren't created just to live for ourselves. We were created for something bigger, bigger than ourselves. And the more you look inwardly and you try to satisfy with money or success or titles or muscles or this or that, the more miserable you become. The more inward looking you, you become. And that's what the world teaches. Look inward, look inward, look inward. Self, 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 self. The more miserable you are, the more you, you have to have more of this and more of that. Alcohol or drugs or partying or sex or money, titles, something becomes your God. Sports, whatever it is, becomes your God. Instead of something to enjoy, you make it a God, an idol, and you serve it. God had a, he has a greater plan. It's bigger than us. It's huge. And the more, the more inward looking you become, the more closed your world gets. But the more you give your heart to God, the more you submit to his Godship, his lordship, the bigger life becomes, the bigger the possibilities, the bigger and broader that you see the world, the more hope arises in your life. That's why people who drive themselves insane or live in depression are always looking at themselves, what they don't have, what they need, what someone did to them. It's always inward, not outward. God wants to turn it. He wants to heal your inside so that you can look outside and actually fulfill the destiny, the purpose, and the cause that He created you to fulfill. Abraham and Sarah just wanted to be parents. That's why they're in the Bible, just wanted to be parents. That's a, that's a plan, that's a destiny, that's a purpose. Abraham just wanted to be a dad. Sarah just wanted to be a mom. That was their destiny and that was their purpose. Because God knew they'd do a great job of it. They birthed a nation from one child. It's not all about being the president or a world changer. You're a world changer in whatever God created you to do. But unless you first submit your life to Him and say, Jesus, you're the Lord, you're, you're God, I'm not. And I'm so grateful the God of the universe would give His life for me to save me. And because I'm so grateful for that, I give my life to you. Do with it whatever you will. I trust you that you're good. You have a good plan for me. I have hope in you. If you've never prayed that and you are lost and you've been looking here and there and maybe other religions and everything and you just can't find it, I'm telling you the reason you can't find it is because it's only Jesus. It's only Jesus. He's the only one that can save you. Rescue you from the slavery of sin in this life and eternal death in the next. Jesus is the only way. And He loves you. If you've never prayed, we want to pray with you right now. If you've prayed before and you've run away and 
you've gotten distracted or hurt or whatever. You just gave up hope and went back to what you were doing before. Listen, God's a God of a, he's not a God of a second chance. He's a God of another chance. This is your moment to come, come back, but come running back. Come running back with a, with a right heart towards him. So whether it's your first time or your next time, you need to pray and get right with God. Whether online or here online, send us a message now saying, I'm praying for the first time. I'm praying for the next time. Send it now. Send us a message right now. In this room, on the count of three, I want you to raise your hand up and say, it's me. I need to get right with God. And then put your hand down. I'm not, there's no strings attached to that. We're going to pray right where you're seated. There's no strings attached to you telling us online. You need to tell somebody. You need to tell somebody. You need to acknowledge it publicly that you got right with God and that you need to get right. So if that's you in, online, send the message in this room. Of the count of three, just raise your hand up high and then put it down. One, two, three. Put it up and say, I'm going to get right with God before I leave here. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. All over this room. Thank you. All over this room. Praise God. Thank you. God bless you. Let's all pray together with those online and those in the room. Let's all pray with them. And those that raise your hand, just mean this. Mean it. Say, God, I believe that you are God and God alone, that you do care and love and want to be good to me. I believe it. And I believe that when we were all lost, all humanity, you sent Jesus. He died for our sins. And you raised him from the dead. And he defeated sin and death to save the lives of everyone who would believe it. I believe it. And because I do, I ask that you forgive me by the blood of Jesus for all my sins. And I receive your full pardon your full forgiveness right now. And I say to you, Jesus, you are the Lord Jesus Christ of my life. You gave your life to save me. Now I give you my life so I can be saved and help others to come to know you. Thank you for saving my life blessing my life so I can be a blessing. My hope, my faith, and love are in you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, so be it. Amen. Come on. Let's celebrate. God bless you. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like to find out more about Church on the Move, like our service times, or how you can connect with us, you can visit cotmroswell.com.